Jill Biden has COVID because she wasn't vaccinated and wasn't boosted. You see the pro- wait. Hold on, hold on. This just in: uh, she she was vaccinated, she she was boosted, and she got COVID. Okay. Okay, good to know. Thank you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. This just in. She's got COVID and she was vaccinated and was boosted. That right there. That right there is the first lady, Joe Biden. I don't wish COVID on her. I want her to be well. I want her to be healthy. I want her to be good. Don't be silly. Don't be ridiculous. But everybody gets COVID. Just so we all understand each other, everybody's going to get COVID, everybody's had COVID, and one of the reasons they changed the entirety of the CDC guidelines is because nobody's willing to buy into their garbage anymore. Oh, you no longer have to be uh, removed from somebody uh, six feet? Huh. You didn't need that two years ago. It was never, ever, ever real. No longer, if if you're not vaccinated, are you going to kill grandma? You were never going to kill grandma because the vaccine never, ever stopped transmission. The lies told by those in power, by the ladies on The View, by culture, it went on and on and on. Getting vaccinated, wearing a mask was virtue signaling. See, I'm good. See, I'm decent. See, I'm important. See, I care. Love me, love me, love me. I'm I'm a good person. Don't you know I'm good? You're not really good. No, are you? No, are you? Her positives have test comes because she developed cold-like symptoms. Yeah, that's what happens with these variants. You get the cold-like symptoms. Um, She is uh, taking the Paxlovid, which I don't even know if you have to take. Honestly, I don't know if you have to take the Paxlovid. But the best is the first lady is double vaccinated, twice boosted, and only experiencing mild symptoms. So are people who have had no vaccine whatsoever. So are people who have just been vaccinated and not boosted. This is a silly, silly statement. That coming from her comms director, Elizabeth Alexander. It's a silly statement to say because uh, she's double vaccinated and double boosted, she only has mild symptoms. It's, It's the variant. Mild symptoms compared to what COVID was doing to people, yes. But it still could be a temperature. It still could be flu-like. It's still a pretty miserable thing. I still have. Now, I, I don't. I didn't get tested. I said it was a cold. But since it ended with the same thing that I got the last time uh, in, 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 in December, right? So I, I, I got, I was sick for like a day in December. I was visiting my parents down in down in Florida, and I was sick for a day, and then my my sense of smell was all messed up because I thought it was a cold for for a few days. And I knew this because cigars didn't taste great. And uh, whenever that happens, you know, it's it's like basically the uh, it's it's the end of uh, days, if you ask me. <coughs> That's what it is, right there. It's just <coughs> the end of times. So I. Uh, um, I, I, I don't know if, if I had COVID or not. I got to assume that I had a variant. This little tickle in my chest. A lot of people have talked about it. A little tickle. <coughs> that nagging cough. And then when I got sick after um, I, was in, I was in Vegas last month, this time, I, I came back not feeling well. Lost my voice, everything else, cold. Maybe, maybe it was this, the, 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 the COVIDs. Maybe it was. I have absolutely no idea. 
But I, I was I felt bad for a couple of days, and then I, I got better. And then my wife felt bad. She actually had a, a fever and chills. So I was like, all right, that's probably what that is. She felt better. She doesn't have the cough thing. I do. I'm sorry. I, I hate to break it. Down, it is just a, it's just a little tickle. And I don't have it all the time. I only have it when I do the show. Because of how I talk on the show, which is, all right, how I talk in real life. But there, there's, there's less breaks on radio because otherwise you're left with silence. And silence on radio is not something that works. Science proves this. They did a study. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, how I, how I breathe, it, it, it only happens when I'm, when I'm doing the show. Only like when I'm doing videos or stuff, how I present, that's, that's how it comes up. That's it. I don't. I don't feel it any other time. I had a meeting yesterday. I was having a cigar, chatting away. Didn't feel anything. Didn't feel anything because it was a. It was a. It was a slower pace, right? A lower pace. But I didn't need to be taking this, that, and the other. I, I think I took ibuprofen. I, I think that. I think that's what I took. I didn't take Paxlovid or anything else. And they're talking about how they tested her for this, and she took the antigen test, but it's negative. The PCR test came back positive. I only hope uh, she she's she's well. I only hope that she's okay. But man, people really like to lose their heads over testing for COVID and getting COVID. It, it, it's the flu, people. That's where we're at. That's where we're at, and we all know it. Actually, not the thing I wanted to get to, but of course, it was a, a, a top story, and, and I wanted to make sure... I I shared it uh, with you. The other story is this Indiana story of what comes next regarding Representative Walorski, who passed away in that auto accident with Emma Thompson and uh, her, her, the man who was driving, whose names eludes me right now, and this this woman who was driving the other car, and it was the Walorski car, according to reports that moved into the the center and. All four people died. It's, it's it's a miserable, awful story. I only assume at, at this stage of the game, I only assume there are going to be lawsuits and and all sorts of things that that, that come. I, I I only assume it. Um, the uh, the story though is that uh, she needs to be replaced now, and the way this is happening is quite fascinating in the second district, Northeast Indiana. We're talking Elkhart here, so there are five. Republicans who want Walorski's seat. So there are two elections that are taking place on November 8th. The two elections are as follows. One, to be her replacement for the rest of her term. The term ends at noon on January 3rd. So somebody is going to be the replacement for Representative Walorski from November 9th. They'll, get, they'll, they'll fly out to D.C. and get sworn in. Through November third, through January third, so the district has representation. But because of redistricting, the district moves a little. So now they need somebody to run in the district because of Walorski's passing to then take the job as of January third, twenty twenty three, and be the member of Congress for the next two years. So there's two things going on. Will it be the same person? Will it not be the same person? That's an interesting question, right? They can nominate somebody to take over the term and uh, to to be the, the, the nominee. They could do both. They could do both. 
the five people, um, some of them are state reps. So you have Kurt Nicely of Milford. You have the former state representative, Christy Stutzman, who's always been very lovely to me in the few times that, that I've met her. You have an executive by the name of Rudy Yakum, who actually worked as the finance guy for um, Walorski for a few years. Then you have an attorney named Tiernan Kane. I don't know anything about Tiernan Kane whatsoever. And then you have the former attorney general of Indiana, Curtis Hill. Now, the Curtis Hill story, of course, is that he lost his reelection campaign when the delegates chose Todd Rokita over Curtis Hill because he had had a um, an accusation of sexual misconduct going back to 2018, uh, stating that he groped four women. The Indiana Supreme Court suspended his law license for 30 days. So that's that's the story of Curtis Hill. But there are a fair amount of Republicans who feel that he got treated poorly and they'd like to see him have a chance to come back uh, in vogue. There, There is support for Curtis Hill out there. Because their argument is, is, look, these women are making an accusation. Some won't believe the accusation. Some will think the accusation is inaccurate. Some will think, yeah, but. Some will think, so uh, is his whole career supposed to be over? They're going to do a whole bunch of things. Say a whole bunch of things. These these kinds of accusations are hard to come back from, especially when some of them are, uh, I think, for a lot of people, proven. Right? It's, it's just hard to come back from that. So there's a question of now, do you want the baggage that would come along with it? Rightly or wrongly? Do you want the baggage? You talk about a former state rep, Christy Stutzman, the idea of a woman replacing a woman, going to be attractive to some. The The idea of Representative Kurt Nicely, I don't know how people view uh, uh, Nicely. I don't know how they see him in the district. The attorney, uh, Tiernan Kane, again, I don't know how they see him Either, according to what I've got from IndianaCapitalChronicle.com, an attorney with a D.C.-based firm, a Ph.D. candidate in political science at the University of Notre Dame, clerked for Edith Jones, judge from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth District, for the Fifth Circuit, sorry. Um, I don't think that's enough to move people locally. Nicely, I now I remember the story about Nicely. Redistricting, he got voted out. He got voted out because the district moved him into a race with somebody else. Um, And uh, he may be considered by some, while he's on the pro-life side, uh, some of his votes may come back to be the, hey, we don't want this. I think he's got an uphill battle. The guy who I think is really taking on Curtis Hill is Rudy Yakum. Y-A-K-Y-M. Why? Because Rudy Yakum was endorsed by the husband, the widower, of Jackie Walorski. His name is Dean Swihart. Talking about how Yakim has worked with Walorski for years, protecting, quote, our faith, families, and communities. Rudy is a political outsider who has what it takes to stand up to the Pelosi-Biden agenda. He will fight to do the right thing, just as Jackie did every day of her career. It's gonna be real hard. For the Republican Party and those committee members to say no 
to uh, the widower. Uh, is, is that how I would say it, right? You would say it to the widow, right? But if it's a man, it's a widower. It's going uh, to be hard to say no to her husband. This is the guy I'm endorsing. This is the guy Jackie would want. So uh, let's get it done. That's a hard one right there. That is a difficult one indeed. So what's going to happen? Well, we're going to find out in a few days who these um, who these nominees are going to be because the Republican Party selects them, which is a little bit different, right? They're, you're not voting for which one. The GOP has to nominate. The, 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 the party has to nominate. That's how this works. And then there's an election that the people get engaged in. Right? And so this is, becomes a fascinating bit of... Of politics, it becomes a fascinating bit of of jockeying. Then there's a fundraising conversation because they're now going to have to run for election and get name ID out in a short amount of time. There's a lot here. I think based on the district and based on Walorski's carrying of the district, I don't know exactly how close the Democrats are in in being able to. Um, achieve a victory in the general. Remember, one, one, one is about replacing her for the rest of the term. That's all on the Republicans. Democrats don't have a say in that. I don't believe Democrats have a say in that. I don't think they have a say in that election. I don't. And then, of course, there's, there's the general, and that's the one that has more focus. All I know is this is absolutely not the place Republicans want it to be. Walorski was a fan favorite. They liked her. They felt confident with her, comfortable with her. They liked her taking the lead on things. Uh, they liked her position in ethics, uh, on ethics committee. Uh, they, there, was, there was a lot to cheer, a lot to cheer, but the death of all four of them was just awful. So that's what we have. That's how you have this all coming together. Uh, winners, I have no idea. Uh, to me, this is a race between uh, Yakim and Hill. That's where I'm at right now. I could be wrong, but I don't. I don't think I I don't think I am wrong in this case. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. It was the story that gave me the most amount of smiles today. And honestly, I could use a couple more smiles. And it's not because the thing doesn't work. It's not because it's going to cost Indianapolis a tremendous amount of money. It's because well, we told you. We warned you. And you woke folk just wouldn't listen. You just would not listen. It looks like forever. Cause in a really long run. It looks like forever. Of course, everybody knows that the red line was a bad idea in Indianapolis. This was supposed to be. High-speed bus or a rapid transit bus. It's a bus, but it was going to be electric. It was going to be special, and it was going to run right through the center of traffic. And to, in order to put this new bus in, you need these new bus lanes and these new bus stations. And therefore, you'd have to absolutely destroy traffic patterns wherever you put the red line, and you would put businesses out of business. I mean, we called it. Not because I was like, ah, bus is bad. Okay, I'm not the mass transit guy. I like the metro in D.C., or I used to. I wouldn't do it now. It's way too dangerous. I like the subway. I 
taken the subway numerous times in my growing up uh, around New York and going there as, as an adult. I wouldn't do it now. I, would, I wouldn't do it now. Not even, there's not even a question I wouldn't do it now. No chance, no way I wouldn't do it now. It's, it's just way too dangerous. But the, the story with the, the red line is that nobody wants to ride the bus. The bus is a 20th century solution for a 21st century problem. Uber is the solution. Now, how do you engage possibly credits or other advantages for people utilizing Uber or Lyft or some other type of system that isn't run by a government? Because if government runs it, it's just a bunch of garbage and it will fail. Austin proved this. Austin, Texas was like, we don't need Uber and Lyft. We'll do it ourselves. Whole thing collapsed. Special. The red line had buses made in China by BYD. Build your dreams. The buses never worked. Well, it's from China. Nothing ever works from China. The buses never worked. They're electric buses. They couldn't hold the charge. If the weather got too cold, they couldn't hold the charge. You know who had this problem? Albuquerque, New Mexico. Had the exact problem, the exact system, the exact buses, and they said it was a failure. They called it a lemon. And if the buses there couldn't hold the charge because of temperatures, how the hell was Indianapolis going to hold the charge? How? But they did it anyway. And they ruined businesses anyway, and they destroyed traffic patterns anyway. And they're working on the the purple line and the blue line now, which is going to, again, destroy traffic patterns on Washington, destroy businesses, destroy people's enjoyment of the city for a solution that doesn't solve a problem in today's world. But the story is that the red line is going through enhancements, reconstruction. The buses were too heavy. The concrete was cracking apart. They didn't know how heavy the bus was going to be. The existing concrete pads cracking under the weight of the buses. So the new pads, which means they have to rip it all out, re-pour the gravel, put in nine inches of concrete, which is at a premium these days, trying to get concrete for your home construction project. See how much it costs. All because they didn't know how to build this thing at the beginning. Because they couldn't build it right. But they couldn't stop themselves. Oh, they're getting this money from the government. You know, Trump allowed money to go for this. Yeah, Trump did a few things wrong, don't you know? Which, by the way, this is true. Trump allowed this money to go through shamefully. The red line is an unmitigated disaster. I get that I would lose the vote of, hey, we should get rid of buses altogether. I would lose that vote. All these red lines, purple lines, blue lines doesn't make the city look good. It is going to damage the city, and it doesn't have to be this way. They've proven they can't do it. They've proven nobody wants it. Can we please stop the madness? Please. This is Tony Katz today. The raid conversation has been one of political fallout. Getting Trump back into everybody's hearts and minds, creating a martyr syndrome, as Bill Maher put it on real time. Uh, the, the, Trump is back. Well, will DeSantis have to take a back seat? But there's more. There's so much more as this continues to progress. You've got Rich Lowry writing in the pages of the New York Post that it looks like Merrick Garland is looking to, is looking set to indict President Trump on what? Well, we'll find out. But the press has indicted Trump 19 bajillion times, and every time it doesn't work out. 
And this raid is just another example of fallout of, dear Lord, how do you trust these people? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Ed Morrissey joins us right now. He is the Capo de Tutti Capo over at hotair.com and the author of the book Going Red, the two million voters who will elect the next president and how conservatives can win them. Now, this came out in 2016, but it's a very, very interesting look at how the granular level really and truly matters. Going Red, you can find that at amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Let's start with at least a, a top story, something that you've got at hotair.com. Uh, FBI returns Trump's passports that never appeared on the search inventory. So this is a story about Nora O'Donnell, CBS News, and the explosion that comes from there. Break, walk us through the story and then your take on what it all means. I seem to have lost Ed, which is terrible. We need to get Ed back. Um, immediately, if not sooner. The story goes that Donald Trump makes the claim, hey, the FBI in this, uh, in this raid uh, took, my, uh, took my passport. Now, it turns out Trump has three passports. Two are expired, and one is a diplomatic passport. That's why he has three passports. I didn't know that. I had to, I had to read that story. So Trump says, hey, these people took... My passports. Well, if they took your passports, uh, the question, of course, is why? Why did they take your passports? What reason would they take your passports? Ed Morrissey is back with us from hotair.com. So the question was, why were the passports taken? How come they're not on any inventory list? And why was Nora O'Donnell saying that the FBI never had them when they did? It's great. Those are great questions. We're not going to get the answers to them right away, I would imagine, Tony. But they are great questions. You know, the Department of Justice was leaking out yesterday that they didn't have these passports. And this was five hours after Donald Trump had gone public with this. Um, there's a there's another thread out there today saying, well, the reason why tr- Trump complained about it is because the Department of Justice notified him that they did have it. But they were leaking to Nora O'Donnell over at CBS late in the afternoon yesterday that they didn't have them. And so this was a reversal on this. And, I mean, we're talking about a week after the raid, right? And there's no reason to take somebody's passports, none whatsoever, um, unless a court has ruled that somebody has to have their passport seized in order to keep them from traveling overseas. But that's a bail issue, and Trump hasn't been charged with anything. So, you know, clearly this was either sloppy work or there was something else going on here. And the fact that those passports didn't show up on a, on the inventory is, is, is another questionable um, development here because that is, that is something that is very unique and would have been readily apparent not to be a, you know, a secret document or a classified document um, in this search warrant that was supposedly targeted at, at that stuff. This is part of the total lack of faith in the institutions. We, we were talking earlier about the lack of faith in the CDC and the lack of faith right. now in the FBI, just going back to how they handled Russia, Russia, Russia. 
they create the lack of faith. And then it is people like Merrick Garland who state, how dare you have a lack of faith in the FBI? How dare you even talk about them? I'm not talking about threats, just just general disagreement. You've got Representative, not Representative, Senator Amy Klobuchar, your senator, uh, saying, you know, I, I thought Republicans uh, backed uh, the blue. So the, the fallout conversation goes to how you want to manipulate what is being said. How is this argument of somehow Republicans are stoking violence, creating violence, and don't support law enforcement? How, as you see it, is that playing out in America? Well, I don't think it's playing out well, but I do have to uh, raise a point of order. Uh, my, my senators are Ted Cruz and John Cornyn. I now hail from the great state of Texas, pal. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I didn't know you left Minnesota and left it all behind. I did. I, did. Wow. I left it all behind about a year ago, about 13 months ago. So I no longer have to claim ownership of Amy Klobuchar as as my senator. Uh, but your point is still well taken. Of course, I'm just, you know, we're just having some fun here. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is part of the the attempt to silence critics, right? Is I mean, this isn't, I mean, this isn't like a uh, like you would see in a dictatorship, but it's a, it's a way to sort of uh, to sort of bully critics into shutting up by by claiming that a criticism of the FBI means that you're on the side of the uh, you know the, the screwballs who call in stupid threats uh, to the FBI. It's a, it's a dumb argument, and especially in a free society, we should be. Uh, allowed and nay, perhaps even encouraged to question our government's actions, especially when they don't line up with uh, what it is that they're talking about, right? Why would you seize passports when you're looking for the documents uh, that Trump is holding and you know exactly where those documents are located? Why was the search warrant so broad if this was, in fact, just a means to to trawl back those documents that were in dispute with the National Archives and, you know, on the basis of classification. Look, I'm a, I'm a former defense worker. I greatly respect the need to protect classified information. I also know that some of it's overclassified, but, I mean, that's, that's a different issue. We need to protect that. But the Department of Justice set a very weird standard about this six years ago with Hillary Clinton, where you had to show all of a sudden it wasn't enough to show that they'd mishandled uh, classified information. And in Hillary Clinton's case, had it on a server that was actively transmitting it back and forth um, through this email uh, system that she had set up. So she didn't have to have accountability through the State Department's official email system. Um, So that standard should be applied to Trump as well. You know, maybe get the documents back, and, and if that's the case, then just end it there. But they went further than that. They were taking stuff out of other areas that they knew the documents weren't in, including passports. And it just, it's just a, it's a demonstration of that there's something else clearly going on, and the Department of Justice is not being honest about what it is that they're doing here. You point out over at Hot Air, talking to Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com, that both Dershowitz, uh, Alan Dershowitz, and David French, who is a Never Trumper's Never Trumper, uh, agree that Garland has to apply the Hillary rule uh, to to Trump. But as Rich Lowry points out, that Merrick Garland is looking to set is looking set to indict Trump, so we might see more action uh, uh, on this from uh, the, this raid. Even though, as you you said, and 
you and I agree, this warrant is outrageously broad. Andy McCarthy has said uh, the, the, the same thing and certainly seems to fly in the face of the Fourth Amendment to discuss the actual items being seized, never mind a totality of, of the places being searched. But the other part of this fallout, there's political fallout, where Republicans are, where Democrats are. I argue that Republicans are in the place where uh, a lot of them feel reinvigorated and clearly they're after Trump and we can't let this stand. And Trump may very well announce again if he wasn't already and may have cleared a lot of people out of the field with what has happened here. Democrats clearly know that this was a bad political move. They never would have signed off on it. They never would have been okay with it. This was, as timing goes, horrific. But the other story is the media story. Where is the media fallout on this? Because while I have the usual suspects, whether it be an Eric Swalwell, uh, an Amy Klobuchar, an Adam Pentelneck Schiff, uh, who are all engaged in the same conversations, I'm not hearing the totality of leftist news say, oh my gosh, Trump is clearly guilty. It is specific key players who this is their business. I don't get the same feel that everybody's on the same page because they know how politically fraught this is. Your take. Yeah, I think that there is, um, I I think that there's been a, a, a kind of a schizophrenic reaction by the media, right? Which is one is that, well, you know, we should trust the FBI, which doesn't, which flies in the face of all their other, you know, previous positions on uh, on law enforcement. But also um, that they, they want to, I think they've gotten burned before by saying this is it, this is the thing that's really going to kill Trump, right? Um, you know, kill Trump's political career. Um, and it's never panned out for them before either. So there's maybe a little desperation here to play this up more than it is. I don't know that this actually was anything more than just an attempt to get the documents back, right? Just to find an excuse to, to go in there, just grab it all back and hand it to the National Archives. And maybe that's as far as this goes. I actually think that trying to get a, um, an indictment that was going to be extremely problematic for the Department of Justice after the way that this has blown up in their face, and that um, they may be tempted to just say, you know what, um, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to uh, take the loss, you know, quit while, while we're behind and go home. But um, yeah, the media part of this is um, it's it's a little hard to read, right? It just you, you see them sort of struggling with the idea that uh, you, you just have this really broad warrant and it doesn't. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of connection to this. And I think they're struggling to understand it and and, and more or less to excuse it. And there's just the only option they have is to just uh, make it into a Republican's pounce story, which is really what most of the media is doing now, just a Republican pounce story. And a Republican pounce story is that anytime Republicans have a response, it's uh, and, and and it goes big. They're pouncing. They're seizing on the moment. It's it's never somehow just a normal reaction and and response to something radical that's happened and people engaged in dialogue. It's always Republicans pounce or 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 whatever else the case may be, whatever word they want to use to show that it's problematic. Talking to Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com. The political play out, of course, is that Trump is reinvigorated. But I am not one of the people who believes that DeSantis is simply going to walk to the side. You have the story 
of some new Florida polling that puts DeSantis up amongst Hispanics. Does this seem like a guy in the levels that he's trending that if Trump were to run, he would somehow sit it out and not learn the lesson of, let's say, Chris Christie in 2012? Yeah, no, no, there's no way that that DeSantis can sit this one out. You know, he's got to do it this time. He's in his second term. He will be in his second term. According to this poll, by the way, DeSantis is up 20 points among Hispanics. There are people who are questioning some of the provenances of of this poll, but clearly DeSantis is doing really well among Hispanics, even in comparison to Rick Scott and Marco Rubio. He's doing better among Hispanics. So those are, uh, you know, it's, it's clear that there's definitely a trend that's going on for him. He can't afford to to skip 2024. And by 2028, he will have been out of office for two years and really yesterday's news. Now, he's a pretty young guy, so it's not a, a term of age. But this is, this is when the iron is hot, so this is when you strike. And he is really cresting. He's, uh, I'm not sure you can even say cresting or even peaking, but he, his momentum keeps building, keeps building, keeps building, and his national profile keeps expanding into all sorts of different areas. You know, the anti-woke fight, uh, the law and order fight. He's got all sorts of these types of things going on. The, the, the immigration fight, um, he's got that going on. So he really needs to run in, 20, in the 2024 cycle, and I don't see this, um, I, I don't see this as being a... Um, uh, 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 an opportunity for him to run for vice president either. This is a guy right. who's going to run for the top job or not at all. Before I let you go, um, uh, CPAC, Conservative Political Action Conference, I go to the one that takes place in D.C. Uh, there's also one that takes place in Texas. It just took place there right. in the Dallas area. And the straw poll comes out. Oh, the vaunted CPAC straw poll, because that's never wrong. And it shows uh, that the, that the, the vast majority of people want Trump uh, to run for, for, for re-election, or they want Trump in, that that's the guy they're going to vote for. I don't believe that's true. I believe it's DeSantis. It could be a Pompeo. It could be an Abbott, but it's clearly uh, DeSantis. And it is, give me a fighter, but don't give me Trump. Is yeah. the straw poll right, or am I right? No, I think you're right. And, and let me look. As much as I like CPAC, and I do like CPAC, I wasn't able to go to it this year in, in either place, but um, those, those straw polls are always about who's bringing organi- organizers to these uh, things. I mean, Ron Paul won at least yep. a couple of years. Rand Paul won at least a couple of years, neither one of whom came within even – you know, uh, you know, a telescope eye shot of winning a nomination. I mean, just, I mean, it just doesn't. It, it, it's, it's not predictive. It is interesting. It's always fun to be there and to take part in those things. But it's, a, it's about ground organization at CPAC, which is not necessarily something that you want to sneeze at because that matters in in primary fights. But yeah, this is just uh, this, it's just brand recognition, I think, at this at the CPAC. And look, I mean, it's 2022. Nobody's really that focused on the presidential election right now. They're focusing on the midterms. You know, when you get into CPAC 2023, when people are really starting to organize for, for specific candidates, maybe it'll be a little bit more interesting to see how the um, how those types of things play out. But I, I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into what the outcome was this time. Ed Morrissey is his name. The book Going Red, you can get that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Ed Morrissey, Going Red, the two million voters who will elect the next president and how conservatives can win them and find his work at HotAir.com. Always a pleasure, Ed. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. 
So I must say, that fallout conversation, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think we actually have it in full yet of exactly how bad this is going to get. And, and that, and not in terms of what may happen to Trump, you know, this, this piece from, from Lowry about Garland is setting up an indictment. Maybe. I couldn't stop the guy from indicting Trump, just like I couldn't stop Letitia James, the New York Attorney General, from going after him or anybody else. Uh, rational or irrational, I think all this is, is pretty irrational uh, and, and highly political. There is a media fallout. And it, it's not getting discussed, but I think it is apparent. And I, I, I liked... Um, I liked Ed's commentary that the the media had kind of a schizophrenic response to the raid. I think that's right. Because it was, this is terrible timing, but yeah, it's against Trump. But what happens now that you've set a precedent and the Republicans are in power? What happens then? Fallout. I'm, I'm tracking it. For sure. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.